you know, I think the, the good life has been um, to some degree about kind of integration of you know, different different aspects or different goals. I think that there's an internal aspect of the good life that is about knowing who you are and you know living with a certain type of inner peace uh, and uh, experiencing joy as an individual. So I think there's an internal component. I think there's an external component as well, which is about doing good out in the world. I think that uh, there's an external uh, aspect of the good life, which is contributing and serv serving other people and um, living a life of compassion where you're really helping other human beings on the planet. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Reflections on Living Well podcast, where we explore perspectives on the good life in the 21st century. I am your host, Broderick Rodell. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Uh, our guest today is Jeff Snipes. Um, how you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great, Broderick. Good to see you again, my friend. Good to see you as well. So I just want to share a little bit about Jeff. Um, Jeff has served on the boards of Greenhouse E3, Education Superhighway, Mindful Schools, Challenge Success, and Marin Montessori, in addition to several for-profit HR technology firms. Over the past 20 years, he has led multiple education-related organizations and facilitated scores of leadership circles and retreats. Jeff currently serves as founder and chairman of Millennium.org, an organization dedicated to expanding whole self well-being through education. Welcome, Jeff. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, as we saw in that little brief introduction there, you've spent quite a bit of time your, of your life uh, focused on education. Um, I'm sure that will come up in our conversation. So, Jeff, I know I just read that bio. I wanted to... Uh, Actually, to tell us a little bit more about yourself, um, about who you are, and 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 how, you know how you typically introduce yourself to to folks. Well, I'd say first and foremost, uh, I'm a husband and a father of three amazing kids that are almost all grown now. Uh, so the I'd say I think of myself first as as a dad. <laughs> Awesome. At this stage of my life, um, uh, I've also been. I was in the in the corporate world for about twenty years as a professional CEO in the HR technology space, and that's where I really got uh, my sea legs in understanding organizational change and leadership development and learning theory. We ran and built a very large leadership consulting talent development company, and I exited from that about ten years ago, and I kind of decided I wanted to take that experience and redirect it into earlier stages of education. And so I've been active on a handful of different boards that are all focused on holistic education. And most recently started the Millennium Foundation and it, as you mentioned, operates a laboratory school and a teaching institute. Uh, so most of my passion is around this question about um, what is a, a better definition of success today uh, that leads to whole self well-being for the individuals and for others. Awesome. That just sounds great. So I am excited for this conversation because I think there's a lot there to uh, to unpack. So I, you know, I start from the very beginning. You know, after that introduction, um, what is the good life for you? What does it mean to live well? Well, you know, for myself, um, you know, I think the the good life has been um, to some degree about kind of integration of you know, different different aspects or different goals. I think that there's an internal aspect of the good life that is about knowing who you are and you know living with a certain type of inner peace uh, and uh, experiencing joy as an individual. So I think there's an internal component. I think there's an external component as well, which is about doing good out in the world. I think that uh, there's an external uh, aspect of the good life, which is contributing and serv serving other people and um, living a life of compassion where you're really helping other human beings on the planet. 
so I think for me, it's been a matter of can I balance both? Can I have you know, self-joy and love and growth and internal awareness? And can I work hard and make a difference and be of service to other people? And somewhere in there for me, that inner and outer is kind of the, the target. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, to, to, um, to be able to look at the good life, not just for yourself, but have others in mind. Um, so where did this come from? You know, where is this drive, this interest in helping others and education, leadership, these things that you've done? Where, where did this drive come from? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and I, I appreciate the question. I mean, the, what came to mind immediately was my parents. Um, so my dad was a doctor mm-hmm. and he was a, a fairly progressive, innovative physician that talked a lot about uh, preventative medicine and the power of diet. Um, I remember going to my dad's office when I was young and, you know, big office, lots of magazines, medical journals. Um, it was a big deal at the time sitting in the chair and, you know, you, you honor him and you put him, he's at a different level than I was, you know, you, you elevate the way we look up to these, these mentors in our life. And I remember asking him, you know, what was it that made people sick? And he said, you know, a lot, of health issues today could be boiled down to two things, which was a good diet and not being lonely. And he felt that as a physician, a lot of his work was to help people seek health, not just heal pathology. And so I think from him, I learned that, um, you know, he lived a life of service. His whole job was to help heal other people. And it was healing them by helping them heal themselves and doing it holistically. And so that was a big deal to me. And that made an impression. Uh, Likewise, my mom was a public school teacher. And uh, she was in public school classrooms working with diverse range of students. And she took a real personal care in each student that she taught. And she put a lot of love and joy into her lessons and connecting with the kids at a personal level. So I think between the two of them, you know, the family dinners were about uh, service. You know, our family dinners weren't about you know, global finance or, you know, how to build a large corporation or how to, you know, it was basically the whole thing was my dad was about how can I help people heal? And my mom was, how can I help people learn? And that's what we heard about at night. So I think I was inspired to, um, you know, live up to those ideals, which is that's, that's a big part. I also had a very religious childhood. We were, I was born and raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was born in Arkansas, but raised in Oklahoma. And, um, we went to church. <laughs> and so I went to church on Sundays. I went to church on Wednesday nights. I went to church camp during the summer. And, uh, you know, whatever ideology you land up, you know, holding on to later in life, there was a core belief that it's all about love and it's all about, you know, living that type of a life. And so I think, I think those early messages went in pretty deep. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. You know, I, I think, you know, what you're mentioning, the the importance and the value of having um, parents or caretakers that are, um, how do I say this, they are supporting your viewpoints, even if they're not doing it intentionally, just by, you know, they're modeling how how to be in the world and, 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 and you, are, you are sharing how that has had a major influence on you, even if it, if it was unintentional, it was the unintentional things. The, yeah. The, the conversations at the, at the dinner table, naturally right. that was going to unfold. You're, you're in that milieu and that's what's, what's uh, had, has had a major influence on you. And, and something that a lot of people tend to downplay these days, at least, um, is the importance of uh, religious traditions and what role that play has played in the lives of so many people uh, being in an environment where you're hopefully uh, constantly being reminded of how to be a loving person, dedicate yourself to something greater than yourself. And it looks like you've spent your life uh, dedicated to serving others and creating um, programs through HR work and education to support that. So it sounds wonderful. Yeah, I think that theme of uh, the role of the model and the role of the environment in shaping ideologies and beliefs and philosophies, it just, it can't be understated. It's, it's uh, you know, often happening at an unconscious level. You're not, you're not even aware of what you're soaking up. It's like swimming in water, you know, not yes. knowing 
what the water is. It's, it's just, it's so ever present. You're not even conscious of how it's shaping you. But I do think that, you know, there's been some good research. Templeton, I know, did some research on the role of modeling in adults. And, and there's, you know, maybe it's like kind of like an iceberg, you know, maybe 10% of your learning is conscious and above the waterline and you're intentionally seeking out, you know, certain instructional content to, you know, knowledge to be able to do your job. But I think 80, 90% is below the water and it's, you know, unconscious values and virtues that you absorb um, based on your life experiences. And that I think they play a much bigger role in shaping how you live and how you show up in the world than the conscious intention of what you think you're in charge of. You know, we think we're in charge. Um, and I think that what we're actually in charge of is a pretty small percentage of what's actually unfolding. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Um, and, um, the, those, I look at it as, as like, like the, the subconscious mind, the, the mind of habits, the things that we're picking up and you have this above the surface of the water is the conscious mind. And those are those, uh, conscious choices, those things that we choose to do, they have an impact, you know, they can orient our attention, but ultimately after that orientation of attention, what environment I find myself in is molding and shaping us. It's helping cultivate those habits. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the lever, right? Once you can become aware of how to shape your own intention, it's kind of like what we're seeing with AI now. You know, there's all this talk in the news about AI becoming, you know, intentionally directing of its own learning. Well, that's a mirror image of what happens to us, right? When we wake up, the subconscious and everything you're taking in, it's all still there. But now we're kind of subtly conscious of how we might direct our attention and how might we spend our time. Because if you can then intentionally shape your environment or shift your focus, what then has the downstream ripple effect of everything else. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. You know, Shauna Shapiro has done some great work in this study of, um, you know, what you put your focus on is what grows. And it's exactly. simply a question of where, wherever you put your attention, that's what you're going to get better at, you know, because that's where your brain is, is you know, strengthening the neural pathways to improve those habits. But you have to consciously choose where do you want to put your time and energy and environment and friends, because it's going to have a big effect. Um, but that's where the lever comes in is that conscious choice. Exactly. We may not have um, what they call it, libertarian free will. And I think free will is the discussion of free will is like a red herring, but. I like to just have a conversation around choice. I think there is some capacity to choose where we place that attention. And, and those things that you just mentioned, you, you, you've spent so much of your, your life involved in education. Can you share a little bit about the relationship between education and doing just that? You know, what, what are we doing with education and how does that support the orientation of our attention and ultimately how we view what is good? For sure. Uh, I think it's fundamental, right? And this in this uh, same dialogue around what's the right environment and what are the right values and how do those environmental values shape who you become as a person? Um, how, whatever school system we create, the, the culture in the school, the protocols in the school, the practices, the role of the educator as a model, I mean, those are informing, you know, 89% of the developmental, you know, substantive um, identity formation of who these students are much more than just the textbook lesson that's in the curriculum. When I was in a corporate role, I, I ran a large leadership development company and we had, you know, half the fortune 500 as clients. So imagine looking holistically at leadership development competencies, you know, what are the virtues and values and capacity of leaders across hundreds of organizations? So you're talking about hundreds of thousands of employees. And what we found was that, exactly as we're saying, whatever we wanted to put the attention on, that's what we could shift. So if the organization wanted to become more innovative, if the organization wanted to become more globally, you know, scaled or integrated, if the organization wanted to be more culturally inclusive, whatever it was that the leader said, we're going to put our attention on this, we're going to reward this, we're going to practice this, we're going to trade for this. Well, then the organization goes in that direction, right? So we can shape it and we can shift it. Well, that's happening in schools. And if you look at the, the design of most schools, you know, unfortunately, most large public schools today were built in an industrial model. They were, you know, designed, conceived 120 years ago, and had a very different tension, very different culture, very different values there. There's a lot of pressure in traditional schools to conform. 
for example. You know, we it's a conveyor belt methodology. We put them in rows, we put them in desks, we, we study one subject at a time, everybody moves ahead and you conform and you sit and you do the lesson, you hand it back. Well, that's a very different uh, value set than say creating a culture that inspires um, creativity or uh, you know, innovation or you know, compassion or self-discovery. Those values are kind of left on the drawing room floor because the focus is on let's get through this content as fast as we can and get everybody through the process. And it's not to say that there's not something super valuable about a lot of the content taught in schools. People need to learn academics and math and science and reading and so forth. But I, I don't feel like it's kept up with the evolution of humanity in the last 120 years. I think the values we need today, the complexity today, the you know, the challenges we're facing today are so much more complicated. And I don't think that this the traditional education system hasn't kept up with you know, developing the capacities that we need to be successful today. Yes. I, you know, I go on my rant about this quite frequently (laughs) that education, you know, you hear certain people say that we need more vocational education. I'm like, well, that's what, what we have, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, uh, we have an educational system that, that, um, again, there is value in this. I'm not saying we should not be doing this at all, but we focus primarily on, let me give you the tools, not even really giving the tools, actually. Let me prepare you for your vocation. That's the essence of the education, such that we're stripping out things like um, PE, <laughs> things like um, civics. Uh, do we have much of a conversation in the educational system uh, about ethics? about character, excuse me, about values. I don't think we do enough of that. And we're not giving enough attention to that. And I I love that you brought up the challenges that we're having right now, that we're experiencing right now. If you're educating human beings in a way that that you're leaving out this important component of how you relate to yourself, how you relate to the world, what are your values? And we don't give enough attention to that. These are the kind of problems you're going to see. The, you know, let's get the United States, the, the level of polarity and, I mean, the lack of critical thinking, of self-assessment, <laughs> the capacity to assess the situation um, uh, that includes others. Um, I mean, it's I'm blown away by it, actually. <laughs> um, it, it just it's, it baffles me, um, and I think the work that you're doing with Millennium is 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 important and shifting the paradigm. I know it takes a long time; it takes time, but to say, "Hey, look, there's a different way of doing this, and we can focus on different things. And if we focus on those things, we can enhance the probability of those values being permeated throughout society." Does that resonate or make sense yeah, to you? Yeah, of course, my, my friend. You know, you and I are synced up on this. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's a tricky conversation to have, you know, you know, and some, um, you know, just taking the United States, it's a very diverse country, and there are a lot of different people with different needs. You know, for many people, getting the school, getting the vocational skill to get the job so they can have an income to pay rent and pay food, that's job one. And so you, I wouldn't ever say that's not valuable. I'd say it's an and, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, I get that. And let's add in some ethics and let's add in some cognitive problem solving. And let's make sure that if that job changes or if the skills change, that you have the ability to change with it, you know, so that you're not then attached to, I know only how to do one thing that I learned in vocational school, but you actually have the ability to, thrive on your own beyond just that one job. So I just, I just think that it's sometimes we come a little short with teaching the ongoing capacities for people to be able to navigate their own life. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to unpack this even a little bit more. What role does development play in this development slash evolution? If you know those two words, I kind of use those words interchangeably at times. I think this is a really important question. I think lear- the, the, the language that we use at Millennium is that learning is, uh, for the most part, largely cognitive. 
it's a lot more about the knowledge and the content that you learn. You know, you learn math, you learn geography, you learn history, you learn how to write a paragraph, things like this. Development for us is more psychology based. It's more tied to human development. So what are the beliefs and the mindsets and the identity and the values that I develop over time? And, you know, kind of the way we started our conversation, the learning is something today that we have an infinite amount of access to. You can, you know, on your iPhone, your, your, your smartphone, you can learn anything you want on any subject. Some of it may be accurate, you know, all the time. And we're constantly now processing information. But that's very different from human development, right? Human development is this, you know, developmental science-based approach to how are we emerging as human beings. And so I think this is the part that's been left behind, right? So when you're learning, you know, self-awareness, when you're developing compassion, when you're developing, you know, complex problem-solving skills, when you're developing your mindset of how do you see the world, do you see the world from a lens of fear, through a lens of uh, conformity, through a lens of, you know, achievement addiction of my identity is defined by how much I accomplish. All these are different mindsets. And they all, for the most part, happen during our childhood, you know, early adolescence through, you know, I'd say anywhere from 11 to 14, your social identity is formed. And then from 14 to 24, almost all your beliefs and values are pretty well locked in by the time you enter adulthood at 25. And to the, for the most part, development's completely ignored by the traditional educational institutions. You know, development might have happened in the past, maybe at home. You know, if you had a stable home and there was a lot of time in the family, a lot of time in the community, maybe development happened in your peer groups naturally. Maybe it happened uh, at, you know, churches or religious institutions naturally. Well, a lot of that has now been significantly decreased, right? The amount of time at home with a family, not online, much lower. You know, your kids today are so programmed and everything's happening to them digitally. They're on their screens all the time. The parents, most of the time now, both working. They're not around a lot. They're a lot less community involvement, a lot less church involvement. And so today, that role of, well, what does healthy human development look like? And who's leading that? Who's modeling that? Who's watching that? Right now, it's kind of empty. It's left. It was, uh, it was abandoned in the path to more and more and more and more knowledge and academic content acquisition. So I think you're ending up with people on an arms race to be uh, you know, intellectually well-informed or knowledgeable, but not necessarily wise, <laughs> you know, not necessarily uh, compassionate, you know, not necessarily um, driven by purpose, <laughs> you know, because the, what the world today rewards is um, unfortunately external. It's, you know, material wealth and, you know, fame, recognition, so I think, I think until we find a way to add development back into the educational process intentionally, very, very intentionally, not as a side dish, you know, not as a 20 minutes, once a week, we do an SEL thing. I think it has to be woven fundamentally into our definition of education, which is whole self-development and academics. Absolutely. Yeah. I concur with that. Uh, yeah, we... I think a lot of what you're talking about, I mean, there's lots of things I would like to say about development. <clears throat> Hopefully we'll come back to some of that. But one of the things that you're, you're pointing a finger to, I think, just from what I'm hearing, is character and the importance and the value of character and, and, and cultivating and developing character. Can you say what, you know, of course, this, you know, the theme of this uh, conversation on this podcast is, is, is the good you know, giving attention to that. Can you say some more about what character is and um, and how that relates to living well? What kind of character? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's no one character, of course, right. but what role does character play, I suppose? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think, I think what you're pointing to, you know, character as a as a concept, not necessarily as a definition of a particular set of things you have to have, but as a concept, I think that the care, you know, call it character, call it integrity, you know, um, call it some sort of like inner compass. Uh, I think that that's, that's the, 
you know, that's the kind of the centerpiece of this, of development. So development, if it's developing and it's helping you develop your identity, does it help you develop character along the way? And I think, you know, the Greeks had a great um, uh, worldview on happiness and they talked about, um, you know, hedonia, you know, which is kind of where hedonism came from. And hedonia is external pleasure, joy, pleasure, you know, um, um, it's very much about, you know, states of happiness and pleasure. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas eudaimonia was internal. Eudaimonia came from this sense of meaning, right? The sense of meaning and purpose and contribution. And eudaimonia was all about living the good life, you know, in a way that served others. And hedonia was about living a good life that was pleasurable and fun and, you know, enjoyable, um, and so I think the internal part is a little bit lost. I think that right now, uh, that character piece of, you know, standing for something, having integrity, you know, willing to make sacrifices if for what stand up for what you believe in, even if it doesn't serve you, you know, doing what's good for the world and not just good for you. I think that whether you look at, you know, the issues around um, global politics right now, I think if you look at our own internal pol political fight, you look at the um, reawakened awareness of, you know, racism, you know, across the United States, all of this is at some level going to cause us to have to stop and pause and ask some bigger questions, which is, you know, am I, am I doing this out of fear? Am I doing this out of what serves my best interest? Or am I doing this out of a place of authentically wanting what's best for all of us? And until mm -hmm. we make that shift to thinking about what's good for all of us, which means I may have some sacrifices. Um, I, I, it's going to be hard to get there. I think that right now we're, we're not willing to put down our own agenda and our own needs and act from a place of love instead of fear. Um, and so for me, character is that, that internal compass and we can play with what words are that or what are the qualities of that? And, you know, what, what is, you know, what are the different aspects of character that are most important? Um, but I think, I'm, I think that's what you're pointing at, right? Is more this, mm -hmm this shared compass for humanity that seems to be a bit adrift right now. Yeah. Can you share some of those qualities that, you know, from your opinion, just, you know, some of those, what qualities do you think are important to have uh, some good characteristics and mm -hmm. how we express ourselves in the world? What are some of those qualities you think are important to live a good life? Well, I'll tell you at Millennium, we've been uh, you know, navigating this question for quite a while now. We're coming up on eight years. Because if you're going to have an educational philosophy and development is at the center of it, you have to at some point define, well, what is it? What do you mean by that? What are these attributes? Um, and so we've ended up uh, landing on a kind of a, a whole self framework that in our minds is meant to represent the integration of the spirit, the heart, the mind and the body. And the spiritual attribute or virtue that we've prioritized is the virtue of awareness. And so for us, this is about, you know, really noticing what's going on within yourself and others, being open, feeling a sense of presence and feeling a sense of being connected to other people. And so we, we call this virtue, the first virtue, we call it uh, awareness. The aspect of the heart that we've prioritized is compassion. And so all the things you can do with other people, listening to them and, you know, empathizing with them and, um, you know, feeling connected to them. We feel like the, the one that we would elevate is to have a real sense of compassion, which is beyond just emotional regulation, but stepping into an intention of I want to I, I want to seek to alleviate suffering of others, not just to be present with them, but actually help alleviate the suffering. So there's a there's a there's a directional quality to the emotion. It's not just a feeling. Uh, when we got to the head, we spent a lot of time, you know, looking at critical so problem solving and, you know, um, you know, what are, what are the aspects of thinking that are most valuable and what do we need today in terms of development? And the word we landed on was wisdom. And for us, wisdom is about being able to see the whole picture. Uh, it's about being able to ask really good questions as opposed to being right and knowing the answer. Uh, it's about uh, being able to see things from multiple perspectives and integrate them so you can handle, you know, not just having one black or white view, but having an integral view. So if you can integrate perspectives and lift up and see the whole world with curiosity, 
knowing that we don't know it all, then you've got wisdom. And uh, the last aspect, the aspect of the body that we landed on was how to act with purpose. So when you come into your body, you trust your senses. Do you align how you act with your awareness and your compassion and your wisdom? Do you align your actions with your intentions? And then do you act in a way that serves other people? So purpose for us isn't, I found my one life purpose. Purpose is, do you act purposefully in each moment? You know, do you act with an intention to serve and to be in alignment in each moment? So, you know, I've got a little bit of a cheat sheet and answer that question because I've been working on it for eight years. And uh, that's where we've kind of landed, which is, man, if we could inspire those attributes, you would change the world. Yes. In the right way. Not, not, Not in the tech way that San Francisco wants to change the world. In the in the right way, which is humanity uh, being with itself in a healthier way, you know. Exactly, absolutely, and I think that's you know that's just beautiful. Um, totally, I'm totally in line with that, and I love how our values are so well integrated. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think that the influence on for me um, in creating this podcast was. Greek philosophy and and Greek thought around eudaimonia <clears throat> and the importance of character development and the importance of virtues. You know, you, you naturally went into virtues and to live virtuously is to is directly related to uh, to eudaimonia, happiness, living a good life, and how important others are in that. You know, you brought up compassion. Compassion is not just, you know, yeah, you can have self-compassion, which is very important. But when we generally think of compassion, being able to have empathy, at least cognitive empathy, along with a deep care and concern for the other. Um, and, you know, that's such, that I that's just so important. Uh, I think it's, if, like you said, if we can do more of that as a, as a, humanity imagine what type of world that that we can have i just yeah i just think that's uh, really good stuff <laughs> and i do believe i feel like education is the is the, the means by which we're, we we do that you know these things are learnable and you know even for the greeks as well you know virtue is developed you know through experience and you learn how to be a good person over time through your experiences. And you, over time, you cultivate that wisdom based on those experiences. And I think what we do as educators is that we create the favorable conditions mm-hmm. for students to move in that direction mm-hmm. towards eudaimonia, mm-hmm. towards being a living a virtuous life and they have to define that for themselves of course I, I can see how you're not and I love that you're 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 not trying to say it's a specific thing it's a specific thing you're saying that it is a process and each one of us have to find that out for ourselves but as educators and parents and I, I include parents as educators um, it's their job our job to create favorable conditions that move the student in a direction. Um, and we create discipline boundaries to help facilitate that, whatever it is for them, because each one of us are different. Each one of us have different gifts and talents. How do I help them ultimately, no matter how talented they are, they can be the greatest program in the world and come up with the most advanced form of technology in the world. But how have I helped them develop their capacity to live virtuously. Um, so, yeah, I just think that's awesome. <laughs> I think that's it, man. I think that's it. I mean, at Millennium, we talk, and I, I, I would agree. I think education is, you know, it's a fantastic portal. Today in our society, where else are the kids going to get this? They're not going to get this at home. I mean, the parents can be wonderful and they're important models, but they spend very little time together once you get into adolescence and beyond. Can they make fundamental impressions like my story about my childhood? Absolutely they do. But on a daily basis, 
the students are being informed by their peer group and by the culture and what they see on the TV and what they see, you know, in their lived life at school. Um, at Millennium, we talk about, you know, the, the whole ecosystem includes the what, the how, and the who. And the what is what should we be focused on? So the academics and the developmental focus that we were just talking about. The how is, okay, how do we, how do they experience that? Because I think, you know, putting it into a textbook and reading it to them, I don't think that does any good. I think that you have to live this. And so how do we create lived experiences? You know, so for example, we have a design at the school where the kids are organized into circles of about eight to 10 students. And they meet, they meet every day for a short amount of time. And they meet uh, every week for two hours and they really go deep into working with each other in a peer coaching design to work through real life issues using these, um, these virtues. And so I think that it has to be real. It has to be a lived experience. I don't think reading it out of a textbook does anything. I think academics, you can learn that way, but development happens because you're living it. You're experiencing it, you know, you, you feel the emotion, you have the trauma, you have the conflict, you have the, the struggle, and then you, you grow through that. So I think part of the design is how do you create that? And schools intentionally try to avoid that most of the time. You know, we, they do everything they can to isolate students into you know, little, you know, one desk, one student, plenty of space, you just do your work. Well, we don't live like that, right? We're collaborative beings, we're social relational beings, and that's almost intentionally designed out of most schools, except maybe on the playground at recess, you know, the cafeteria at lunch. And so what we've done is we flipped it. We said, well, let's flip it. Let's create designs that focus on the lived experience so that the development is happening and being processed and worked through very intentionally. So all of our learning is project-based. Three kids on a team, they work collaboratively. They have an eight-week project. They have to work with mentors. They have to go do apprenticeships out in the world. They have to come back. They have to process what they learned. They have to create their own coaching and developmental plans. They have to share those with their parents. So agency and lived experience and conflict is baked into the learning with um, you know, a container then to process it and teach them how to manage it. So that's the how. And then the who is the teacher, you know, the adult, the model. And it's shifting the definition of teaching. So you're not just teaching the content, you're a model for human development. And I don't think a lot of educators have ever thought about that as an important part of the role. And so, you know, talking about ethical things, talking about personal things, educators have to reveal a lot more about who they are. So, you know, a classroom of 30 kids in the, you know, a very ambitious amount of content to get through. There's simply no time for one-on-one -on -one coaching or mentoring yeah. or heart-based discussions or the teacher talking about how their life's going. The, the kids also don't get to see the teachers working together, you know, and so they don't really get to see adults modeling conflict and working through issues and how do they solve problems. And they don't have any visibility into that until they're out in the world. And now they're 25 and doing it for the first time. And so I think, um, all of that has to change. You know, the, the what changes, the how it's experienced changes, the role of an educator as a coach and a mentor and a model is, you know, unfathomable today in most schools, the way they're structured. They just don't have the time or the resources or the space to do that. But taken collectively, it changes the whole ecosystem. The whole environment then is different. And so I think if you want change, you have to really, look at it holistically and think about if we want to create an ecosystem that breeds wisdom and compassion and awareness, what are we willing to do, you know, to, to create that ecosystem? Exactly. No, building, putting those structures in place. I, I think it's so ironic how uh, we have evolved as a species. The reason why you and I are here is because we had community. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for, shared experience because isolated by ourselves i mean we're think about all the various mammals out there and other creatures out there you know, we would not survive we had to we survive because we were in teams <laughs> we're in communities and for us to not give attention to that i think it's important i understand i see how we've gotten here where 
there's a lot more focus on the individual. And particularly in the United States, I think that's, that, that, that is an important part of the evolutionary process, in my opinion, to for individuals to individuate, to be an individual, to be to think of oneself independently, that is important. But that's not the end goal. And I I think we need to revisit what it means to be with others, to be vulnerable, to share ourselves. And I think what you're doing, now I've mentioned this before, that you are creating selection pressure, pressures. I think we all are doing it, even if we're not aware of it. We're creating selection pressures for evolution. Hmm. And if I create a container, a discipline structure, and I say, okay, we're going to interact and, inter- and engage in these various ways. I'm going to quote unquote force it by the structures that I place, the discipline that I create. And over time, humans interacting with each other, we evolve, we learn how to manage each other's, manage our own emotions and experience, but also how to, for lack of a better word, manage each other. How to manage the relationship, rather. How do I manage relationships? And what do we need most today? <laughs> we, as a human being, as a human species, need to learn how to manage our relationships in a way that is for the greater good or maximizes the capacity for, for us all to live well. And we have to create the selection pressures for it. Not everybody's going to be on board, but we have to put things in place, create the favorable conditions for human beings to move in a particular direction. I, I, you know, I think I'm just adding to what you're saying or just saying what you're saying in a different, slightly different way. Um, but that's why I love education so much. I see its power and it's such a powerful thing. Teachers have so much power. <laughs> People who build educational institutions have so much power. Mm, even more so than certain political figures, I think, because you have direct influence and impact on the lives of future generations. Yeah. I, and and it is important as, again, I, I put parents in this too. Uh, I think parents are educators. It's just an educator with a very strong bond <laughs> um, that it's very important for us as adults to develop our character and to be vulnerable and learning how to be vulnerable. So to be a model for the future generations. Um, so I just love what you're doing. I love the work that you're doing. I love what Millennium is doing. And I think it can expand in due time. You know, sometimes we think we feel like the work that we're doing, oh, I'm not going to have an impact, but we have to remember, you know, let's take time out of the equation and the impact that we have in this universe Trust that process. Trust, I know Millennium is small school, and also you're doing work beyond that with the programs, the additional programs that you're doing at Millennium. But, you know, I think trusting that, trusting that the work that you're doing is is, is good work. And I was mentioning, you know, from the religious folks' perspective, uh, you're doing God's work. <laughs> well, I think for me, the patience is probably the hardest part of the whole journey. I mean, it's just... Um, man, you really have to let go of um, expectations of outcomes and timelines, and you have to do it because it feels like it's true to you. You know, <laughs> it really becomes just a, this feels true, and so I'll do it because it feels right, um, and I'm just going to trust it. I'm serving somehow, but <laughs> definitely the pace of the impact and the change is I don't know, man, the system is huge and it's being reinforced by billions of people over hundreds of years and it's it's not changing quickly. No, take it patience. You know, I think beyond your lifetime, you know, I think about this podcast, the work that I'm doing, the conversations that, that the conversation that you and I are having, no matter who ends up listening to it, mm-hmm. we are, this is an input into to reality. It's a positive input. I'm like, this is the work. It extends beyond the boundaries of my skin. It extends beyond the boundary of time. Um, What good I bring to the world, what conversations I have, 
in a way, my metaphysics is that it has an influence, an impact, and it, it may be beyond my life. It's a, what's the, you know, the, the, the butterfly effect. You know, we don't know what impact the influence we're having on in, 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 the, in the world. And I think conversations, having conversations uh, around a particular subject has impact, it has influence um, beyond what we uh, can imagine sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's the gratitude for you, man. I mean, you're using personal time and energy to lift up ideas and to get your voice out into the world. I think that more than ever, we need leadership. We need people lifting up their voice. Uh, I'm a fan of uh, David Brooks and his writing mm -hmm. in the New York Times. And to have yes. someone, you know, of his intellectual horsepower and his worldview and his experience writing about, you know, these sorts of topics, you know, what does it mean to be humanity? And uh, how do you really know a person? You know, I think... I think here's a guy using a platform to lift up more important questions than the news often does. I mean, we see a lot of the factual questions that are lifted up, you know, this conflict or that conflict or this happened or that happened. And I think that's a value. But, man, the more we can lift up this question and open dialogue and lead by challenging people. I so wish our political leaders were having better conversations. You know, I wish they were talking about something else because um, I think, you know, it's it's not the right model. It's, a, you know, they're not examples of what we want our children to be learning from. Uh, no. so where are the models? <laughs> you know, where are they? How do we get them up there? How do we get them on? How do we get them on, uh, on air? Like what you're doing. So gratitude for you. I, I don't put myself in that camp, but I hope that you find others <laughs> who, uh, you can get their voice out there and, uh, people need to hear it. Yeah. Oh, you, you are an important voice, man. That's why I have you on this podcast. <laughs> That's why I asked you to be here because I think a lot of what you have to say uh, is important. And of course, you know, it happens that, uh, that we, our views, you know, resonate. Um, and that's not the only reason why I have you here, but I just think, you know, our views are different too. And yeah. I think that different, you mentioned it earlier, taking in different perspectives. I'm glad you brought up David Brooks. Mm -hmm. You know, David Brooks um, so those of you who don't know, he's a prolific writer. He was, uh, you know, he was a, he's still a conservative, um, but he was a important figure in the Republican party until the chaos commenced, um, in the recent years. <laughs> That's all I'll say about all that. But I, I, I think that, you know, he's a different, it's a different angle. He's a religious person. Um, and I think it's important to hear, even if you don't agree with everyone, that's not the point. The point is to take their perspective, cognitive empathy, put yourself in their shoes and see, can you see the world through their lens? And if someone is, even if they have a different worldview than you do, if they are saying, hey, let's try to do good. Let's try to do better. I, it's, you, I'll get value from that. We'll all get value from that. And then you're going to listen to someone that's a Buddhist or you're going to listen to someone who's an atheist. If they're all saying, hey, let's do better. This is my opinion about what it means to do better, yeah. to live good, to live well, and not just actionable things, but the way that I actually see the world. So my, the whole point of doing this podcast is listening to stories. We're all telling a story. And, and if we can listen to the story of another about what is good, that can have an influence on the way that we see things. Yeah. And also, it kind of gives us the, uh, to encourage us to say, okay, let me give a person the benefit of the doubt. I might disagree with them wholeheartedly about, I don't know, certain physical things in the world. But can I at least hear their angle, their take on what it means to live well. Yeah. Where are they coming from? What's their philosophy? Because that's going to, and I got some, I have some time to go back and reflect on that. That's going to help me better understand my own view and maybe also inspire me to think about it. Yeah. When I typically don't even think about this kind of stuff. Most people don't. They're like, well, I just got to get my paycheck. You know, I had to get my, 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 
I'm glad you brought up <laughs> Hedonia. You know, I had to get my pleasure. That's what it's all about. But how about thinking about what's beyond that? And the only way you're going to do that is through dialogue and conversation, be it a conversation to someone written on in a, in a text um, or listening to two people uh, share their ideas and share their, their perspectives. Yeah. No, man, I think that that's where we're most fundamentally broken, right? I mean, this, this culture that's emerged of canceling people, you know, putting people in a box. Well, you know, you believe in X, I believe in Y, so I can't, I'm not listening to you and I'm going to throw gasoline and fire on anything you say. I mean, we, we've, we've created a, a media system where, what gets rewarded and is what is gets the clicks and what gets the, the views and what's on television is, you know, um, unfortunately it's, you know, what's, uh, you know, what's, what's spectacular, what's, what's, what, what creates vitriol, what creates hatred and anger and, and internally in our own minds, you know, it, it becomes very dangerous. I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm afraid of what I might say or who I might follow. Like I'm, a, I'm, I'm more liberal than conservative than david brooks i'm also more uh uh spiritual than religious than david brooks but man i got a lot to learn from that guy you know and i can listen well beyond those differences in those small categories because the bigger categories are enormous they're so much bigger learning to learning these other values is you know infinitely more important to me than my political position on this issue or that issue that might change a year from now and so uh, i think what's happened in our culture though is that we cancel we, we put them in a box and we don't listen and there's no connection and there's no curiosity and there's no, you know, so we, we, we're tribalizing ourselves, you know, and the tribes are getting really small because you're, you know, it's black or white. I'm for you or against you. Oh, wait, you said that? Oh, well, then you're out of my tribe. I got to find some, I'm in a smaller tribe now. Oh, wait, they said that? Well, they're out of the tribe too then. And so it's, what are we doing? <laughs> you, know, you know, so I think until you can break that fear. I mean, I think it's also the question, you know, the question I ask about, well, why aren't there more leaders and voices like this? Well, what same person would put themselves through a lifetime of, of that type of, you know, media attack and that, that whole circus of an experience, the really good wise people don't want to live like that. And so we've created a system that um, dissuades the best leaders from, taking leadership roles because it's not worth it. You know, it's too painful. It's you, you can't have a peaceful life of love and joy with your family. And so it can look fearful. I feel like, I mean, it's a question I ask myself all the time. Am I just hiding? Or am I trying to make a difference in the way that I think I can? And the, this is the way that I think I can. I think, you know, some of the best leaders in the world you've probably never heard of because they're, exactly. they're quietly doing their work and they're selflessly doing their work and they're not about self-promotion and they're not about tweeting and vitriol and attacking and making spectacular sensational headlines. I think they're just quietly doing the work and modeling it in their communities. And so I think that, how do you find those leaders, Broderick? How do you find them and elevate them in their communities? Because they're probably not going to be on stage. They're not going to be people that spend an entire career promoting their own brand and their own books or whatever their message is. Mm -hmm. Because you can't then have a life of inner peace and development and connection with family and connection with community. There's just no time left for that. So I think, you know, you're on a path to elevate these unsung heroes that are the types of leaders that we need to hear their voice but probably won't be name brand, you know, recognized and the most famous and the most wealthy and running the biggest corporations because the people really in the trenches doing the work at the level of community, they're not promoting themselves. They're doing the, the work in a different way. And so I think, I think what you're doing is important and you just need to keep finding them and lifting up their voices. Amen. I feel you. And, and, you know, and that's my goal <laughs> is, you know, I think you said it, better than I could have said it, you know, uplifting those voices, uh, even if they're not, it's not about fame. Uh, you know, like you said, you know, we focus, you know, our attention on the individual and we celebrate, uh, you know, like you said, you know, how do we get the clicks? We celebrate how we get attention and, you know, what we're using in the media and a lot of us, even people in the social justice world, not everyone, but a lot of people, 
um, we were hijacking our negativity bias, which is an important part of our evolution. Uh, we here we're here because we were we have um, a sensitivity towards danger and the quote unquote negative because we can respond to that. We can predict it and avoid it to the best of our ability. But we live in a society, we live in a world where that is being hijacked and we're constantly being bombarded with negativity. Why, how are we different? What's wrong with the world? And I'm like, well, let's highlight what's right about the world yeah. or what could be right about the world. How do we make it better? Not, this is awful. This is a bad thing. Great. We're good to know. But we don't have to focus on that. Yeah. We're naturally, we have to work against that, actually. We have to work against that. We have to work, we have to counter our tendency to focus on what's problematic. I didn't say, again, folks, it's important to know that. We're here as a result of that. But do we need to dwell so much of our attention on that. Yeah. And I think not. Look at look at the world. Look at how we treat each other. Look at how we treat animals, non-human animals. Look at how we treat um, people who are outside of our nation, outside of our particular community, outside of our so-called ethnic group. Just look at it and see how we're acting. Obviously, we're not given enough attention to that which is good. Because <laughs> if we were, I just don't see how we can behave the way that we're behaving. Yeah. I just don't see how. Because it's not magic. It really isn't. What you give your attention to. And if and, and we may not, I can't snap my fingers and, and make a million dollars and put them to my bank and take care of all my debt and everything else. I can't make that happen. But what I can do is orient my attention. Even if my I have crazy thoughts, emotions arise that I have no control over. But what I do have control of, to a large to a large extent, not hundred percent actually, but we do have a lot of control over, is where I place my attention. Yeah. And if I know that I keep putting my keep orienting my attention in a particular way, in a particular direction that I increase the probability of me um, abiding by the characteristics associated with that attention, if that makes sense. For sure. And so, yeah, I not, you know, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you here is because I know what your vision is. Of course, I don't know 100%, but I know a lot of what your vision is for Millennium and what it is doing. And it's not just millennium. I, I, when I ask you to be on the podcast, I think you know I, I mentioned that the the most important reason why I want you here, <laughs> yes, what you're doing in the world, and I, I'm aware of your vision, but your relationship to your children, mm-hmm. and man, and how you brought up from the very beginning, how you identify yourself. Now we're about to close, but can you just say a little more about being a parent? What the how that makes you feel? Mm-hmm. What is it about it that makes you feel that way? Because I've seen you, man, how you light up when you talk about your children. Boy, it, it touches me um, when you when I when I hear you talk about your children. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, no, I, I love talking about my kids. Uh, you know, I think parenting is a spiritual practice. <laughs> you know, maybe the hardest you'll ever do. Uh, we were talking earlier about um, you know overdefining. Uh, definitions like character or virtues and things like that. And I think as a parent, one question you're always asking is, well, what, you know, what are we going for here? What, what, what are the developmental virtues or characteristics I want my children to have? And, you know, I've been very grateful to have a, a phenomenal partner in this journey with my wife. We've been together for, you know, dating for 40 years, married for 30 and, the thing that we've always been really aligned on is we really want our children just to be themselves. And so what that means is we can't have too firm of a roadmap for them. We have to have guidelines and general direction, but not a detailed blueprint. And so I think that for us, 
always encouraging the children to look inside and to trust themselves and uh, ask themselves, who do they think they are? And yeah, there's some virtues here that I think you're going to find useful. Mom and I are going to model those for you. But most of all, I just, I'm curious about you. And uh, I, I love every part of you. I, not just the, the parts that, you know, are on display and the good moments, but I love all the, all the really messy, challenging, imperfect parts too. And so I think that you just don't have many people in your life, you know, friends, family, coworkers, where you really can practice unconditional love, which is, you know, I truly love all parts of you, even the parts that you are embarrassed about or self-conscious of, or you think are messy or flaws or inadequate, or I love that stuff too, man. I think it's awesome. And, uh, what I'm really interested in is you and curious about who do you think you are and what life do you want to lead and how can I help you? And we've just been lucky to be lined up like that, not with a, you know, I want you to be this or I want you to be that, or here's my 60 degree success. So you need to do it the same way I did. We just never had any of that. I think we didn't believe in it on ourselves. And so uh, the result is I just love the hell out of these kids. And I think hopefully they, they love each other and love themselves. Um, it's certainly been my source of joy over the last 25 years. That's just awesome. I thought we would, I wanted to make sure <laughs> you share that, that, cause, um, I just think it's awesome. Uh, and hoping and wishing more parents could have that level of love and yeah, to create the space for their children that, that you, that it appears that you've done for yours. Um, we're at the end here and I wanted to, any final comment? Um, well, two more things. Anything else you want to say about the good, what, what living well means after this conversation, anything else come up that you want, you would like to share about that? Well, knowing me, I'll come up with the perfect thing to say sometime tomorrow. Right. <laughs> so, uh, I'm sure there's a lot that I wish I would have said and the perfect quote and the perfect anecdote and sometime tomorrow morning in the shower, it'll hit me. Uh, and so, uh, no, I think that, you know, you're, we've covered a lot of ground and I think your the podcast in general is focused on how do we help people, you know, find this, find their own good. So I think it's a very personal journey. I don't think that you can write it in too tight of a script. I think that that's where religion sometimes go off track is, they try to provide the, the manual, the instruction manual too tightly, you know, scripted as opposed to just continuously challenging people to look inside and to ask themselves and to connect with themselves and what feels true to you. So I think the good has to be what's your good, you know, and how can your good make sure it serves other people's good too. So how, what, what's good for you and how do we make sure that what's good for you by definition has to include others thriving too. It can't just be you because we're all connected. And so it's gotta be both. Um, is that a, um, that's just awesome. Is that a final quote you want to leave? Is there, cause I use accent. Is there, is it, is that the final thing you want to leave uh, for the audience? Or is there anything you want to leave for the audience or, you know, a good one too is, um, is there a question you would like for people to reflect on? That could be something as well. Well, I think the question you raised a second ago is the right question, which is, you know, what are you putting your attention on? You know, when you are honest about it, what values, what virtues, how do you spend your time? If we were to ask your kids, you know, what are you modeling? You know, so I think it just requires looking in the mirror and asking yourself the truth. You know, how do I live and how do I focus and what do I put my attention on? Um, I think that you just keep asking that. I think, I think you said it. I'll just repeat it. <laughs> You're such a humble man, Jeff. Uh, Jeff, this has been just wonderful. I, I, I always enjoy uh, talking with you and to have you here on the podcast is a privilege and an honor. And I just love you, man. And um, audience, uh, check out Millennium and I'll have uh, Jeff's information um, in the show notes as, as well as on the website. Uh, but Jeff, this has been great and wonderful. Uh, I hope to talk to you again yeah, soon. Well, so I thank you so much. Too, for being here. I love the work you're doing in the world. So it's been an honor to be invited. So I have a lot of gratitude. You've allowed me space to reflect on things that I enjoy. Uh, so thank you for the gift of asking the questions. 
thank you so much for tuning into the show. I hope this conversation has inspired you to reflect on your own views of the good life. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more inspiring and thought-provoking conversations, please follow, write a review, and rate us on your favorite podcast app. If you are tuning in on YouTube, please hit that like button and subscribe. Your support is very much appreciated.